this podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Good morning, Officer Rob. Indianapolis Police Department. Sir, can I see some identification? Well, good morning, officer. That's an awfully nice bulge there in your pants. You don't meet too many, uh, too many Ohio boys, do you? Now, cut the fruitcake stuff. Do you care to explain why you're dressed like some kind of scarlet woman street walker out here flagging people down? Yes, he, I... That's a, good, that's a really good question. I do a podcast, and we have a live show here in Indianapolis in just a few weeks. I was just trying to spread the word with flyers and hand jo- uh, handshakes. Can you step out of the vehicle? There's a very strong odor coming from this vehicle. Not to worry, officer. I always smell like shit. No. I smell alcohol. Get out of the car. Wait, 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 wait. Do you know the difference between your mom and this ticket you're about to give me? What's that? <laughs> I'm going to tear them both up tonight. All right, you're coming with me. Join Nick and Rob from Ohio, Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances, and Jerry and Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories live. That's right, Rob Dog. Saturday, June 22nd at Gina's Grill in Indianapolis, Indiana. Tickets are just $15 and they are going fast. Just do a quick Google search for the bad boys and Tracy in Indy, or you can check out eventbrite.com. All of the tickets are available there. Nick, Rob, Justin, Tracy, and Jerry cannot wait to see you there. Mm, see you there. Bye. Hey guys, welcome to episode 149 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am Jerry. What is happening? I am Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a cool story for you tonight. We do, we do. I have actually a couple of stories. Good. It's all tied together. It's one of our little theme story things. Oh, and I know how you like that. I do like them. First, obviously, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Amen. Thank you for keeping us safe. And we threw this in a couple of times. Thanks um, to all the military children. Mm-hmm. who have to travel all around the yeah. country and sometimes out of the country uh, because their parents are in the military. Yes, yeah. yes. thank um, you, guys. You know, we don't we don't want you to think that we've forgotten about you. Absolutely not. I'm sure it takes a lot to get adjusted every time you move. So. I guarantee. Yeah. And then we want to say if you're suffering right now from any type of depression 
or if you're in a, uh, a situation where things are a little bit tough, uh, you know, my family's going through a little bit of that. We just lost my uncle uh, last night mm-hmm. at the time we we're recording this. So, you know, everybody's a little bit down and out right now because of that. Um, if you're going through something similar, I've seen a lot of posts on the Facebook group of some things going on. So people lost jobs. Uh, yeah. People struggling with their um, children where uh, some children were suicidal and, and stuff like that. Just talk to them. Just talk to people. No matter what the situation is, it always makes it better to talk. If you feel comfortable talking to us, we're here. If you feel more comfortable talking to strangers, there's the suicide hotline, one 800 275 8255. And if you'd like to text more than talk, 741-741. Doesn't matter how you do it. If you want to send a note by carrier pigeon, yeah, whatever it, it takes on. to get it off your chest and make you feel better. Absolutely. Just, just one thing I'll ask is don't ever feel like you're a burden and that people don't want to talk to you. No. Because I promise you, you're wrong. No way, man. Come and I'll give you good, good loving hugs. I'm talking. Okay. You sound like something off of... Uh, like the deer hunter or something. Or, you know, <laughs> me love you long time. Or, me love you long time. So, hey, whatever it takes to get Patreon up. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, as we're recording this, we're getting ready to go to Bobby Mackey's. Yep. Whoa. So, that's going to be really cool. So, a day, a day away. I'm excited. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's the first time we've ever actually done a show in... Well, I say that, but you know our very first show, live show we ever did, which we didn't sell tickets to. Yeah. It was at the Talbot Tavern. Oh, yeah, Which we've yeah. done a show on. That technically was the very first live show we ever did. We did that for some some people, good friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And it was actually in the haunted location. I and we've know. never done one since until this one. Yeah, I know. So we're not going to dwell on that. We're going to dwell on the story. That we have for tonight. You know, we did a, um, uh, we talk about spirits on here all the time coming mm-hmm. back from, from death and obviously yeah. haunting or living in their old house because, uh, you know, or maybe their old workplace because yeah. that's where they're comfortable with. Sometimes they just don't cause any issues at all. Sometimes they scare the bejesus out of people, uh, whether that be intentional or unintentional. Mm-hmm. Then we've talked about some more malevolent spirits that just try to raise havoc. And more times than not, these are demons who just are evil spirits who were never human to begin with. Now, sometimes it's just a spirit that was a very bad person or a jerk when they were alive and on this earth. And not always a demon, so it can be, yeah, you know, just a jerky type person. We've even went as far as doing an episode on people who may have been killed by supernatural forces. And Those tonight, people just need love. But... <laughs> Tonight's episode is going to be a similar episode to that one. We have uh, more cases involving death, deaths that may have be able to be blamed on paranormal situations. Oh, wow. Isn't so, that scary? Isn't that just like, dang, I survived like real life people and then a damn spirit came and got me. <laughs> That's messed up. So the question is, can you be killed by an entity? That's a good question. And that's what we're going to try to at least examine a little bit further tonight. So fitting for this episode, we will cap the night off with an interview with Angela Boley, who is a psychic artist. Oh, nice. And we talked to Angela. She sent us a message 
she's been to a lot of haunted locations and she can see the spirits and then she paints what she sees. Ooh, wow. So you're going to get a big kick out of this one. Okay, as usual, we want to start the show off by talking about a Nigerian brothel. <laughs> well, that's as usual. <laughs> I just thought it would be funny. Anyway. <laughs> oh, did you make that up? No, that's what we're going to talk about. Oh. For real. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So this is a relatively new story from September 28, 2016. Dang. Good luck finding any information on this one. Because... This may be the hardest little bit of information I've ever been able to track down. Really? Yeah. I wonder why. Google, you would think, would have tons on it with something like this story, but nothing. Nothing. So anyways, this this is something that happened in Nigeria. Uh, it was a little, I guess you could say a bar that was also a brothel called the 50-50 bar. 50-50. Kind of like that. Well, according to this story, 50-50 chance you're going to make it out alive. Oh, I don't like that. So what happened here on this night was definitely uh, not the norm of the happenings of this business. Mm -hmm. At the end of the incident, there would be two people dead, six people passed out, and way more questions than answers. I've had nights like that. Like, what the heck happened? Sure you have. I remember Phoenix Hill that night. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> but before we talk about what happened on this day, let's go back just a little bit. So a few weeks earlier, several sex workers who had been working and living here, they left after saying that they had been hit with unseen hands. It's like a ghost pimp. I don't know. Oh, what about that? One of the women had been knocked completely unconscious. Oh, my gosh. Also, during this time, beds would lift off the floor and slam down. Mm. You would think that would be pretty normal for a brothel, but apparently these instances, there were nobody in the beds when they happened. Oh. Or, in some cases, it was just somebody sleeping and nobody else in the bed with them, and it would happen and wake them up. The local newspaper says that they think that all this new paranormal activity was caused by some recent renovations to the building. Mm-hmm. So, let's go back to September 28th. Witnesses say that at 8 a.m. that morning, people started running out of the building screaming, Ghost! 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 Oh my gosh! When the authorities came into the building, they found two people dead (gasps) and six unconscious. Oh my gosh! The two deceased were one male, one female. The six that were unconscious were all found in different rooms. So it's not like there was a gas yeah, leak or something right. like that. There were all six in all, in six different rooms, one of which was the manager. And some of the people that survived said that there was an attack of something paranormal. One woman gave an interview to the uh, the New Telegraph, which is the newspaper there. She said that they have no clue, or she has no clue how she ended up in the hospital. She said she didn't remember anything. All she knows is that she went to bed in her room. She was all alone. And then she was in the hospital. She said she didn't have anything to drink or no kind of drugs or anything. Can you imagine? What in the world? And that's all I've got on that story. There literally is not much out there, but this was just a couple years ago. Dude, that is crazy. I mean, it's bad enough if you're, like, fighting a real person and you've got this entity or whatever the crap it is, like, 
hurting you and you can't even see it. So I would have loved to have been able to dig a little deeper and find uh-huh. out what the cause of death was on the two people. But whatever. They never did. Te- they never. I, could, don't know. I couldn't find anything. Wow. Now, there were articles in the newspaper because that young woman uh, explained that, you know, where how she ended up in the hospital didn't know that was in the newspaper. And the newspaper also said they thought the activity was from the new construction going on. So they disrupted something. I guess. But, that is a mess. But up. I didn't see anything, you know, saying how the two people died or oh, why wow. the six people were unconscious or. But the the reports were that there were people running out of the house yelling, ghost, ghost, ghost. And you did have two weeks worth of reports of several people yeah. moving out because of paranormal activity. I wonder what, what those policemen thought. Like, man, what are you all on? And then to go in and see that. That's crazy. Yep. Woo. All right. Next story. It's from the infamous prison known as The Rock. The Rock. You know which prison that is? Um, Yeah. Come on. The Rock is, oh my gosh. Um, it's off the coast of San Francisco. Hitting your head is not going to be good radio. Oh, well, I can like see it. Is it where the, uh, <laughs> uh, is it, oh, please tell me. I can't think of it. Alcatraz. Oh, God darn it. That's it. I was waiting for you to say Alka-Seltzer or something. No, I knew. I was like right there and I couldn't get it to come out. All right. So from 1933 to 1963, Alcatraz had a reputation of extremely tough guards and being damn near impossible to escape from. See, and can you imagine being a guard in that place? Why? I don't know. I just think you'd have to be a tough mofo. Well, they ruled the place, so. So the guards were known for their cruelty. Mm. Part of their cruelty in this prison was the hole. The hold? The hole. Oh, the hole? Yeah. Hola? <laughs> I like how you said the hold, like there's no hole. We talk about the hole in almost every prison. <laughs> they all had a hole. Yeah. Anyway, the hole was a very small room with no light that you were kept in as an extreme form of punishment. Well, obviously, it was in solitary confinement. Very small. That's so scary. And there had been rumors of the hole being haunted by some sort of malevolent spirits. One of these entities had such a bad reputation that it actually had its own nickname, The Thing. Oh my gosh. So let's go to 1940. Why didn't they name it something pleasant? Maybe it wouldn't be so scary. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, it's laughs> Madam Butterfly or something. Yeah, something like that. A prisoner was put in a hole for the night. So not long afterwards, he starts screaming. Not regular screams either. I mean, these were screams that were more like... Fear or agony or maybe as if somebody was even being tortured. Oh, my gosh. It's true to the guard's usual behavior. The uh, They purposely ignored him. Oh. He started screaming that there was something with red eyes in the hole with him. Maybe the mouse. <laughs> well, the next morning, he was found dead in the cell. Let's oh, go and help the mouse. Oh, my gosh. But... There was this strange bruising on his throat as if he had been choked. He was purple and his eyes were bulging out of his head. He had a look of fear and contortion on his face (gasps) as if he was frightened by something. So they go and do this autopsy. And it's determined that he was indeed strangled. But the marks that were on his neck didn't match. Like a handprint? What was on his hands. (gasps) So it just, they didn't match up. Oh. So there's no way they said that the uh, medical examiner ruled that there was no way he could have done that himself. 
So here's a little small twist to the story. So this prisoner was in his regular cell and seen by many other prisoners during roll call at the exact same time he was actually on the autopsy table. What the crap? So, and then after roll call, he just disappeared. <gasps> he didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I mean, those other prisoners must have been like, hell, I don't want to go in that hole. I would think not any at that point. At that point? Oh, my gosh. Here's another quick one. Now, this one's going to be, I'm not going to say controversial, but it may step outside of what we're trying to do, and you'll see as we okay. get into it why. So, this next story is from April 14th in 2008. My sister's birthday. Is it? Mm-hmm. And it's in Cornwall, England. So, let's get some backstory before we get to the actual event. 18-year-old Carissa Glenn had just recently gotten her own apartment. She loved it. She worked at a little bar as a barmaid around the corner, and life was pretty good for an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. Carissa started hearing rumors of a woman, though, who had been hung in her apartment. Hung oh, herself. Gosh. There's a female tenant, and the week before the incident we're going to talk about, she called her parents... Matter of fact, she called them three different occasions to talk about a presence in her apartment. And she had already been having some dreams about a woman who had hung herself before she made these calls. So, I wonder how long she had lived there before. Not very long. Not very long at not all. Not very long. Her parents practically begged her to move back in with them. And they even offered to pay any money to the apartment to get her out of the lease. Get her out of the lease, there. yeah. Her sister, Laura, said that Carissa was always spooked by the paranormal. And uh, she even mentioned a few times a week to her sister about feeling a presence and how vivid her dreams were, that they were super lifelike. Did she not want to move out or what? I don't know. You would I mean, think you, she would yeah. want to. So her family said that she had a history of sleepwalking and even said that she, quote unquote, lived through her dreams. So she had a history of having these really vivid dreams. So the night before this incident, Carissa was working at the Sloop Inn. That's the little bar she worked at. She and some friends were drinking pretty heavily. Not supposed to drink the profits. Just saying. (laughs) She left in the early morning hours. The next day, she failed to show up for work. A lot of her co-workers were concerned because that wasn't like her. So they decided to go to her apartment. When they did... They had to break in, and then they found her body. <gasps> oh, no. She had hung herself no, with, a, she didn't. with a pink scarf from the shower rail in the bathroom. Oh, my gosh. The coroner listed the ruling as an open verdict because he said it was unclear to him whether she deliberately hung herself or accidentally did it in her sleep. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? The coroner said that He was concerned about the local rumors that someone had hung themselves in the apartment, uh, considering her dream and and sleepwalking in the past. Can you imagine doing that? Oh, my gosh. Like, literally never thought about a sleepwalker doing something like that. Well, you remember Nathan, our our buddy, was a sleepwalker. Mm -hmm. And he, at one point in time, almost walked out a window. 
Oh, he walked gosh. down a flight of steps and fell. And at one point in time, he had to sleep in a sleeping bag with his hands and everything in and zipped all the way up so he couldn't get up and walk. That was how bad it was. Whoa, that's terrible. Now, all of her friends, family and all that said she was a, a vivacious, happy young woman. Yeah. That this was completely yeah. out of character. Uh, now, on the other side of things... She had gotten a text from her boyfriend asking her to marry her. How romantic. Yeah. Let me marry you through text. Oh, no. That's not good. Yeah, he no. sent a text asking her to marry her. Oh, yeah. And she had recently learned about the death of a friend. So she did have some stuff going on. It's also important to point out that her toxicology showed she was twice the legal limit of drunk, you know, of alcohol in mm-hmm. her system. Right. So that could have played a factor in her. Now, her mom believes... That she was in a semi-conscious state when she did this and dreaming when she hung herself. She can only imagine what might have been actually going through her head at the time that she did this. Um, so I mean, yeah. she could have been thinking about the other woman. She could have been thinking that the woman was telling her to do that. And How many, horrible. many people though still feel like there was something more sinister at work here and think that she was maybe coerced into doing this by something evil that was in the apartment. Oh my goodness. This is kind of interesting, though. Police officers say that even though there was a rumor about a woman hanging herself in the apartment, there was no record of that ever happening. No way. So, no telling where the rumors came from or uh, why she was so caught up into it. But That's bizarre. So, you you could see why I said this really... May not fit into it because this very well could just be somebody who sleepwalked and yeah. had a dream and just did something. But she, or she could have had some mental situations where maybe she was not as stable and started having, you know, maybe some hallucinations or yeah. whatever the case was. Well, that's very sad. Yep. I feel bad for sad. her parents. They tried so hard to get her not to do that or live there. So, mm. yeah, it's a very sad story. That's a very sad story. And we've got one more. Okay. This one's the longer of the group. Is this a happy story? Well, no, none of these are happy <laughs> stories. <laughs> so this was last but not least. Uh, if you're a Patreon member, you may have heard this story on episode 42. But we're going to go a little deeper into the story on this version. And not only this, this is a local story for us. This is only about 30 minutes from us in Pulaski County. Oh, This is the most well-known story of the entire night that we're going to tell you, but it's also the most fascinating. This is the story of Carl Pruitt and his haunted tombstone. Mm. Carl was a carpenter by trade. He was out working his tail off one day. Gets home. He's ready for, you know, whatever his normal night would be, Mm -hmm. probably a little dinner and, you know. Relaxation. Whittling or something, whatever you do in 1938. But whatever he thought he was going to be whittling, whether it be a duck or a knife or mm-hmm. whatever, it was going to have to be put on hold because when he got home, what he found was his wife in bed with another man. What a heifer. Carl goes absolutely berserk. He snatches his wife up. He's cursing at her. He's calling her names. The guy she was with sneaks out the window and goes on about his little merry way. Oh, because he's such a man. Well, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't hang around either. Well, I mean, I wouldn't either, but... Carl's still manhandling his wife, and he looks around, 
and he finds an old rusty chain. Oh. I don't know if this chain was in their bedroom or... Yeah, why is there a chain in their or bedroom? Or if it was what they were using it for, that's none of my business. <laughs> that might have been what they normally do instead of whittling. I don't oh. know. He takes the chain and strangles his wife with it. <sighs> but that hurt. Almost immediately, he feels heartbreak and regret just wash he, over his body. Yeah. What did he just do? Yeah. In a matter of minutes, think about this. He went from his normal life to finding out his wife was cheating on him to now being a murderer. That's In a matter of minutes. Insane. It was too much for him to handle. So he goes to his truck. He gets his gun out. Oh, no. And he turns it on himself. Within seconds, Carl now joins his wife in the afterlife. Now, most stories would end right there on Carl Pruitt's floor. Most, but not this one. This one's just getting started. They do autopsies, obviously, on both bodies, and they make the funeral arrangements. No big surprise that the family of Carl's wife demanded that Carl not be buried in the same cemetery as their daughter. Mm-hmm. So, Carl was buried on the opposite side of town, miles away. The thought was obviously maybe she could rest in peace if he wasn't anywhere around her. So, this is where the story really kind of gets crazy. The caretaker at Carl's cemetery started noticing some strange discoloration on his tombstone. There was these little small circles... Circles that seem to form a chain appear on his headstone. These markers even extended out to the grass on top of the grave. So what would happen is that it's the turf that was on top of the uh, uh, grave itself would die in patches. Mm -hmm. And the patches that died continued to form the chain. Whoa. So because of all this, people started talking about his plot being haunted. Now, because of this, visitors who were curious started coming to the cemetery to see if anything strange happened or kind of test out their braveness or show off in front of friends. So that brings us to our first incident. So you get a group of kids. They come up there on their bikes. This little boy named James Collins. He starts taunting Carl. Oh, bad move. And then he throws a rock at the headstone. Ugh, little shit. So he's content now that he's proven his point and all those little kids that are with him thinks he's, you know, Mr. Big Crap. Mm-hmm. And they get back on their bikes, they start heading home. It said that little James Collins' bike started to speed up on its own. Ooh. He lost control, crashed into a tree. Somehow, during this little crash, the chain came off of his bike wrapped around his neck, and strangled him. Karma's a bitch! (laughs) So now the rumors are spreading that Carl Pruitt killed the little boy from beyond the grave. You could imagine. Well, James's mom hated that her son's name and his death was now becoming part of this folklore Mm -hmm. surrounding this haunted Well, I mean, I'm sure, yeah. She takes matters into her own hands, literally. She went to the cemetery with an axe. I don't know what she thinks she's going to do with an axe with a headstone. It's not made of wood. It's not a tree. Are you kidding? 
Well, I wouldn't get about something as serious as an axe and a headstone. Anyways, she goes in, she takes several swings at this headstone, and she does noticeable damage. Unfortunately for her, she was getting ready to become part of this growing legend herself. Because a few days after this, Paul Bunyan impersonator, as she was, was hanging out some clothes to dry outside her home. She slipped and somehow got the clothesline wrapped around her neck and strangled herself. (sighs) She was found hanging from the clothesline. Oh my gosh. A week later, the headstone that she had done damage to had repaired itself. (laughs) He don't play. So as you could imagine, the story is now pretty much known by everybody in the area. With that, more people become cocky and show how big of jerks they can be. Well, what a bunch of... The next is a farmer. This guy, he's on a horse and buggy. So he thinks he's Mr. Big Crap, but he can't afford a car, apparently. (laughs) They had cars in 1938. Yeah, they sure did. Matter of fact, this might have even been later than 38, because that's just when it started. Mm -hmm. Anyways, he's on the horse and buggy with his family. They're riding past the cemetery. He all of a sudden stops, pulls out his gun, and takes a shot at the tombstone. Some say he knocked a chunk out of it. Some say nothing happened to it. What we do know is that the gunshot spooked the horses, and they took off. Oh, he's dumb. He didn't even, did he not even think about that? <laughs> Apparently not. So the, this buggy's going out of control. The family jumps off to make sure they, they want to make oh, sure nothing happens. They, they jump him? off. Yeah, oh, he had his whole family. I did not know that. I thought it was just him. No. The farmer stays on because he's trying to get control of the horses. That was a bad move. Because he apparently was thrown off, his neck was caught in one of the trace chains that were right there by the harnesses, breaking his neck and killing him instantly. Oh, yeah, and the headstone repaired itself again. If indeed he did take a chunk out of it. So, no kids, we're not done yet. It was getting crazy with the visitors around the cemetery now, and it was decided that it would be best to have a couple of police officers patrol the area. But why? Why what? Why are people still coming when they know these horrid things are happening? That's what people do. Not everybody believes in those things. But why would you even chance it? I don't know. So you got a couple of police officers there. And the two that had the dubious duty were not real thrilled with this because they felt that the whole thing was just silly nonsense. Yeah. So they made fun of the curse and even took some pictures with the headstone. Now, this is a little different than the other the other little bits of the story. They leave the cemetery and are driving down the road. They look in the mirror and they see a ball of light heading from the cemetery towards their car. Now, they were scared at this point and definitely wishing that they'd done things a little bit different. So even though they didn't believe before, now they're thinking... There's a ball of light heading towards us. Um, Maybe they're on to something. So they tried to speed up, outrun whatever this light thing was. They lost control of the car. They ran off the road and crashed into a fence. Now, this isn't just your, like, a wooden fence or something like that. You mean like a barbed wire fence or something? No. We'll get into the fence. So one of them was thrown from the car. 
He just had a few little scrapes and, and bruises, nothing major. The other one wasn't quite so lucky. You see, he was ejected also, but he was thrown towards the fence. And that fence was made of posts with chains in between <gasps> the posts, making the Stop. fence. Stop! He hit the chain part of the fence and was nearly decapitated. Oh, God. I can't deal. I cannot even deal. Okay, one more. Uh. <laughs> you normally don't hear about this one, though. This one's a little bit different. Uh, when you hear Carl's story, mm-hmm. this one a lot of times is left off. Oh. But I didn't leave it off. Arthur Lewis. Now, he was a local that didn't believe in ghosts or the silly legend, as he put it. And he was tired of hearing about it. And he decided one night that he was going to go out to the cemetery and just remove it. He was going to dismantle the Wait. whole headstone. Stop. He takes a hammer out there with him. I don't know if it's a sledgehammer or a regular hammer, but he takes a hammer. He's banging on this thing loud enough that all of the neighbors could hear him. But the hammering soon changed into a scream from Arthur. Neighbors hear this. They run out to his defense. But what they found was Arthur at the cemetery gate. He had been strangled by the chain that kept the gates closed. Most think he was running from the cemetery and got caught up into the chain. Oh, my gosh. When did all this stop? In the mid-1950s, there was a strip mining company. They came in. They bought the cemetery and all the surrounding land, and they moved all of the graves to an undisclosed location. And that was the end of the legend that lasted damn near 20 years of terrorizing this small community. That's horrible. That is so horrible. You would think, though, if they moved the grave, that something would happen. That's what I was thinking. What happened to them when they were trying to yeah. move it or, or nothing, do whatever? But so nothing became of that? Nothing that I know of. What a horrible story. So the question is, is this a real story, or is this just an urban legend? What be- is it? Well, I don't know. But there's there's Carl Pruitt, and there's been a lot of people look Carl Pruitt up, and some people can't find... They found a Carl Pruitt in the area, but that was in the 1800s, and he died way before 1938. Um, there's not a lot of proof that this story is true, but most people in the area tell it as if it is true. Ooh. So, who knows? Wow. That's a good story. But that's several stories of people who were killed or possibly killed from paranormal activity. Gone. That is messed up. So, if only... Angela Boley had been there. She could have painted pictures of what Carl really happened. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think Mm. that chain would hurt. Yeah. A lot of chains. Yeah. Everything was involved in a chain except for the clothesline. Yeah. That was the only one that was a little bit different. I guess they didn't have a lot of chain clotheslines back in the day. Yeah, I guess not. So let's talk briefly about some stuff coming up. Um, before we do that, I want to give a mention. We had a listener who um, wanted to remain anonymous, but she was asking for prayers. Her brother, during all the flooding that was happening in Oklahoma, um, her brother is without a doubt a hero. Yeah, absolutely. He jumped into some, uh, a, a, I guess, a river that had been raising from all the flooding. A young girl, a 13, 14-year-old girl, had fell in. And obviously needed help. Her brother jumped in 
was able to save the little girl, but tragically lost his life mm. on Memorial Day. Man, and God so we just we just wanted to um, say a big thank you to him for putting his life mm-hmm. out there to save somebody else. Yeah, that's uh, a very courageous move that oh, not everybody gosh. would have done. Yep, and we want to say uh, big prayers. And thoughts out to their family. Yeah. For what they're going through. As she put it, you feel good mm-hmm. in a way. Right. That if you had to go, this is basically. Yeah. You did it saving somebody else's life. But at the same time, you still lost your loved one. Yeah. That, that would be hard tough. to handle. For it's sure. So well, we God just bless want, his yeah, heart. We just want people to think about that a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely, honey. Prayers are with you. Um. Just a lot of good stuff going on for uh, you know the show right now. Mm-hmm. We want to thank everybody. We've had a record number of listens over the last couple of weeks. Oh, and we that's sure have. What a nice you, surprise. You guys are sharing the word, and that's a big plus, and we appreciate that. That we means do. more to us than you'll ever know. It helps us get out to some shows. Uh, like I said, we, we love these shows because we get to meet people. Mm-hmm. Bobby Mackey's is coming up this Sunday, so we're going to get to meet a lot of you guys, uh, Caitlin and Jamie Huff, and so many of you that we haven't had a chance to meet, and some old faces. I like, know, Amy. Like Amy's yep. coming, and uh, it's just going to be so much fun. Yeah, we can't wait. So, Whoa, Ninja. Ninja's excited about it, as mm-hmm. you can hear. So that's going to be cool. Atchison, Kansas, and Indianapolis are the next two after uh-huh. that. Uh, that are coming up. So can't wait for Indianapolis. It's going to be so much fun for Ohio. And you heard their commercial. They just. Oh, yeah. They're so disgraceful. <laughs> they just. <laughs> That's why we love them. We wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> and like I said, we set up New York and we're working on Philly. We're going to get Philly. It's going to, we know the date. We're just getting the location. Yeah. So we're coming to Philly on uh, October 12th. Uh, we're just getting the, the location lined out. So we're trying to, Dina wants to do something special since that's her neck of the woods. So yeah, that's going to be exciting. I've never to been to any place. of those places. So that'll be amazing. Yep. So those shows are coming up. All the tickets for any of those are available, uh, on our website under the uh, live events page. People ask about Atchison, Kansas. Um, I want to clarify a couple of things. Obviously the tickets that are for sale are for the live event that we're doing. Right. At, uh, I want to say, Paluchis, I might have pronounced that wrong, but that's a haunted restaurant. Mm-hmm. So you're going, there's only 60 tickets available for that, but there's other events you can buy too, but those are all separate. There's yes. an investigation of the Sally house. It's going to be led by some paranormal investigators. And my understanding is they're going to have equipment for people to, to use. That's $65. Oh, nice. Those tickets are also, there's a link to that on the website. That's not through us. It's through Atchison, mm-hmm. uh, but that's available. If you don't want to do that, there are going to be tours of the Sally House. It's like a self-guided tour. You just get in, go in and walk through the house, and and uh, you can do that. It's like $10 for that. There's haunted trolley rides. There's haunted cemetery rides. That's All cool. those things are available, and the Holiday Inn uh, has a group rate if anybody wants to come. Very nice. You just got to call the Holiday Inn tell them you're with us. They got a block of rooms. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, we don't talk enough about all the, the different things that were going to be going on there, but mm-hmm. there you go. So, and somebody asked us if the show sells out, can we still come down and hang out with you guys? Yes, you can still come down because even if you, if the show is sold out, there are all those other events that we're going to do over the weekend. So this is going to be like a Friday, Saturday, uh, possibly even part of Sunday thing. So it's going to be fun. Woohoo. All right. New Patreons. Tracy, would you like to do us the honor? Of course. Well, let me tell you, we had a bunch of Patreons and a bunch of iTunes 
So that it couldn't sound more country. A bunch of iTunes. <laughs> we got a bunch of iTunes. Ooh-wee. Um, let me do the iTunes first. Okay. We have Rhonda, aka Squirrel, Sandman, Two VA, Lizzie, Twenty Seven, Karen Shaw, Lindsay. I guess it's in Minnesota. Okie three three five four. I'm going to give a big shout out to JT and Sons Show Cattle in Moreland, Oklahoma. Thank you guys. Feeling a bit like Alice. Bubba Brando. Go Cats. Hope GS. Melissa Reif. Genesis Savannah 19. And she is from Afghanistan and left us an iTunes review. How nice. Yeah, that's awesome. She's in the military. Over yes. There. Thank you for what Thank you do, Genesis. Thank you for what you do. Absolutely. And real crime fan. And our Patreon is Andrea, Jennifer Bailey, Isabel Gillen, Ashley Sullinger, Hope Stevens, and somebody with a beautiful name, Tracy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you guys for your support. It means the world to us. And your iTunes reviews. Oh, my goodness. We have a boatload of Patreon episodes. Yeah. We... Uh- we just recorded earlier today episode 294 of the shorts, mm-hmm. and then we've been doing this for two years on the regular, and there's two episodes a month on those. Yeah. So, I mean, there's way over 300. So, if you was to sign up for Patreon, especially if you signed up for the uh, the $15 level, you're going to instantly get- Like almost 300 shorts. Over three, yeah. But you'll get um, 300 and, about 330, 340 total uh, episodes because mm-hmm. some of those are full. There's about, I would say, probably 48 to 50 full length episodes, listener stories, and, right? And what have you. So, for for you guys that are like, hey, I'm all caught up. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I do? Yeah. I know where you can get about 350 <laughs> more. So, well, we can't thank you guys enough for your really kind words um, on iTunes reviews. Um, it just it warms our hearts so much, and we we just feel very blessed with you guys, and just glad that we have come into your lives and make it a little happy for you guys. That's great. It's what it's all about. And thank you, Patreon supporters, for your support because it's really I don't know. It's a blessing. That's how we're able to do some of this yeah. cool stuff. We've been able to upgrade all of our equipment, yeah. so the sound is way better. We listened to uh, an episode from like. Episode 30 or 35 uh-huh. or something. And the other night, I was like, God, it sounded horrible. Yeah. Compared to where where it is now. Yeah. So. But we love you guys. And thank you so much. And thank you for hanging in there with us. Yeah. And, you know, this doesn't get mentioned enough. There's a, on a regular basis. So it, it happens in the reviews. But on a regular basis, somebody sends us a message, whether it be an email or mm-hmm. whether it be on Facebook, a private message that tells us uh, that we've affected them positively one way or another. And those mean the world does. It means everything. It means everything. And so. even if we affect you not in a good way, that means everything. <laughs> <laughs> but we hope that's not the case too often. All right, so are we ready to listen to this interview with Angela Boley? We are ready. This is a, and not, you guys hang in with this one. This one's kind of long, but man, it goes everywhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, 
we talk about a little bit of everything yeah. in this. And, and it like I said, it kind of goes all over the place. But it's fascinating how she got to where she's at mm-hmm. and, and where all this came from, the beginning to where she's at now. And we're going to try to do an event uh, that we're going to have her involved in later uh, up at the school. You'll hear her talk about a school on there um, up in Middletown, Ohio. And I'm very familiar. I got a location that I go to all the time there. Mm-hmm. And I think we're we're trying to set a show up there. And if we oh, do, she's awesome. agreed to come down. Yeah, that'd be so, great. Really cool. So let's listen to Angela. All right. This is a first for us uh, on the podcast because we have a, a special guest, uh, Angela Bowley. Now, Angela wrote us. A little while back, it was after, uh, you know, we've done the near-death experience shows and the past live shows, and we had a, uh, a Jim Bruton on talking about a near-death experience, and Angela wrote us after that, and she was explaining how she became, and this is the first I'd heard of this, but it's phen- phenomenal now, and I'm excited and went down the rabbit hole, how she became a psychic artist, and it stems from her own near-death experience, and I thought... Hey, I've never known a psychic artist, and I've seen some of her artwork, and we're going to get into exactly what that is and how we got there in a little bit. But I want to welcome to the show, Angela Bowley. Thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to have you on, and I think the listeners are going to really enjoy this because it it might not be new to everybody, but the concept was new to me. And then when I saw some of the artwork, I'll be honest with you, it scared the crap out of me in, in some way, shape, and form. So, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit, but you had uh, a situation when you were a child, and if you could, will you tell that story to those people? Yes. When I was a very small child, I actually lived in a haunted house, and it was um, demonically infested. Of course, at the time, I was very, very young. I was only about five years old, and probably the one of the youngest people to experience the near-death experience. When I was a child, there was a bottle of aspirin sitting out on the coffee table, and the lid was popped up, and the aspirin was spilled out on the table. Now, some other people that have talked to that have experience with the demonic believe that that was a demonic activity of actually opening up the aspirin and leaving it out on the table. I can't speak to that. It may not even be related, but I took the aspirin believing it was candy. Because if you remember those Pop-Tarts and we had Pez candy and it kind of looked very similar to that. Mm-hmm. So I consumed every piece of aspirin in that bottle. And what that does is that it thins out your blood and your blood becomes so thin, you start bleeding internally. I started vomiting blood. My mother rushed me to the hospital. My father arrived later. And at that time, the hospital had a pediatric unit. I was sent to the pediatric unit. I was vomiting blood all the way in. And the doctor informed my parents, we need to get her some blood. Because if she doesn't get blood, she's going to die. He sends a nurse off to go to see how much blood they have. And she came back, and she was in tears, and she said, we have no more blood. And the doctor turns to my parents and said, we don't have any blood. She's going to die. And I kept vomiting blood, still vomiting blood. They kept bringing container after container. 
until the emergency room and the very small space that we were in was just filled with buckets of blood. And I got cold, I got hot, I got different temperature sensations in my body. And the doctor picked me up, laid me on the table, and put a blanket over my face. Now, I had no concept of death. I didn't know why he did this. I thought, well, how rude of him. He just put the blanket over my face, and I'm still breathing. And I hear him talk to somebody on the phone. He came back, and I hear him tell my parents, I called the county coroner to come get the body. He never had a child this young die in our ER before. And he said the coroner may take a few minutes. He may take a few hours. We don't know when he's going to be here. But not long after that, I started to experience going through a tunnel. But it was like a tunnel of cobwebs is the best way as I describe it. It's like sticky cobwebs or some sort of gray crinkling in your face. After that, I'm awake and I see a beam of sunlight shining through the ceiling of the emergency room. And I thought that's very strange. How can sunlight shine through the ceiling of a hospital? And I actually floated up through that sunbeam of light. And I was floating up through all the floors in the hospital. I could see all the other patients and all the floors. And eventually, the hospital roof is below my feet. And I'm looking down at the hospital. And I look up and I see I'm heading towards a light. And I'm wondering, is this light the sun? And I then I see the sun. And the sun looks like it's a dull blip, like a burned-out light bulb compared to the light that I was heading towards. And it was much bigger and brighter and took up much more of the sky. And as soon as I entered the center of that light, I was felt this incredible warmth, incredible joy. And this light was intelligent, I mean, all-encompassing intelligence that is beyond our intelligence, far beyond our capacity. And this light also contained somehow I came very rare, contained all the goodness that is everything. Everything came from this light and the sentient light. And I was floating in this light and the voice emanated from the light that said, your body is made out of individual structures called cells. Those structures are damaged. I'm going to repair every single one of those structures and I'm going to send you back. So I was in the light for the time, and I came back exactly the way I came, and came down through the ceiling, through the sunbeam of light, and I was hovering over my body, and I was able, for the first time, look down on my body, and my body, I realized, it was just like a device. It's just like a car that you get in and to go. It's not really you. It's a device you used, almost like a tool or a robot or something. It's not really you. But as I was floating over my body, I turned and I was facing face up towards the ceiling. And I heard that voice say, get up, get up, get up. And on the third get up, I leap off the table in joy. The doctors and my parents all looked shocked. And my doctor said, 
well, she looks very healthy. You mind if I re-examine her? My parents said, yes, go ahead. So he re-examines me. And he said, not only is she fully recovered, but she's actually healthier than most children in her age group. And I can't explain that. I had been dead without a heartbeat, without a pulse, without brain activity, no blood pressure for over 30 minutes. Wow. That's a, and you were about, did you say you're like five years old when this happened, right? Yes. I mean, that just, it, that goes against everything that should, should happen, you know, because normally they say, what, 30 minutes without any type of oxygen or something. I mean, clinically, you should be brain dead at that point, I would think, and not even be able to do those kind of things. Exactly. Um, everything in our conventional wisdom says that, you know, a body or a heart, the moment it starts beating, you don't die right away. But once you're oxygen deprived, then there's permanent damage. The longer that you're without oxygen, the more damage that's going to be on a cellular level. And when I came back, I just had that knowing that it's not as true as we think because that light, our creator, God, can restore a body no matter what condition it's in. He can always recreate us. He can always repair that cell, even if that's been cell has been damaged beyond what we think is unrepairable. So now all this happens. You get back home. You're resuming life. What happens from that point? How did your life, how was your life affected or how did it change? Well, right away, I had the sensation that I had like an open door to the spirit realm. That's the best way I could describe it, the sensation of an open door. It's like not a physical open door, but like if something's changed, something's different. My perception is different. I started to actually see the spirits in my home, and these were not good spirits. I also could have premonitions that would come true. I would also seem to pick up other people's emotions and thoughts that definitely were not my own. And I realized there's something a little bit different here. I can't quite pin it down, but something is different. I had intense paranormal experiences in that house. Uh, for example, we had, a, you know, a typical radio you have for a little kid. You would have a little, you know, record player radio combo mm -hmm. on my dresser. Mm -hmm. And it um, turned on full blast. It was going up and down the dial by itself. I unplugged it. It was still playing. <laughs> I, I was perplexed by this. I actually pulled it off my dresser, ran to the basement, because that's where my dad's tools were, and I grabbed a screwdriver and started taking it apart to figure out how could this be. And, and when I saw how simple it was, I'm like, I can't believe we paid money for this. But it doesn't explain how that happened. It had uh, doors slamming in rapid succession so fast when you looked at them, they were just a blur by themselves. We had... You know, the names of each of our names being called in the house. Every single night, something was loudly coming up the stairs. Not just light footsteps, I mean heavy, like they're trying to break the stairs when they come up the steps. And they'd march up right to my bedroom and then turn around and go right back down. Um, I saw shawl shadow entities. I had apparitions come out of the floor, out of the walls, 
when I actually visited another house, these entities seemed to have followed me. They were constantly harassing me. I had a few cousins who were quite young, just a little bit younger than I was. We were playing in the basement, and we had one of those toy telephones. And I might be giving away my age here, but the toy telephones, if you remember, they had a little smile yep. and little eyes, and you would pull the little string, and they had a little clapper that would ring a bell when, you, when it would ring. Mm-hmm. I remember those. One of, the, one of those was sitting in the corner of the basement that we never played with, and it started ringing by itself and without moving. It was ringing and ringing and ringing, and I could feel this presence building its energy, and it felt like something wanted to kill me in that room. And it got more and more intense. But at this point, I had so much harassment. I just felt like I was being bullied and I wanted to stand up to it. And I said to it, look, I'm not scared of you. And to show how I'm not scared of you, I'm going to very calmly walk out of this basement. My cousins did not get out of that basement so calmly. They ran out. (laughs) 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 They weren't uh, so determined as I was. But I had been bullied for so long, I felt like, since I can't run away from these things, at least I could stand up to it. It's what I thought I could do. And show it how brave I was. So I went upstairs in the living room. Parents, aunts, uncles, they're sitting around talking. Well, I want to go up to the restroom. So I woke up a second set of stairs to the restroom. And I said to it, no matter what you do to me, you're not going to make me run in fear. And when I opened the bathroom door, the toilet lid opened by itself, and a black mass came out of the toilet. It was roughly human shape, had glowing eyes, had needle-like, barracuda-like teeth that was glowing, and it growled. Deeper than a bear growl. It was really a deep growl. That didn't make me scream. I ran out of the house, and my dad chased after me, and he stopped me from running out in front of the car. That was terrifying for me. Uh, but over time, I got a little bit bolder standing up to them. I learned to pray, and I know that prayer made that activity back down. And at night, one time, I'm I'm like, I've had enough with these things. I'm going to go walk around, and I'm just going to tell these people or these beings off. And I did. And I didn't see them in apparition form again for quite some time. As I got a little bit older, I thought, okay, maybe I just put this behind me. But more paranormal activity just always come into my life more intensely than other people experience it. When I had graduated from high school and I was just about to enter college and I had a little break between high school and college, I thought, well, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go take a nice walk. And I went back into the house to get my jacket because I thought it might be a little bit cool. I better get a jacket. I opened the closet door, pulled my jacket out, shut the door, and when I shut the door, there's a man standing there. He looked very real to me, very physical, and he was the bloodiest, gloriest thing I've ever seen. He was skinned to the bone, 
Um, he had, I looked down, he had uh, stonewashed jeans, bell bottoms, you know, flared at the bottom, bright white high-top tennis shoes. His face was mostly skull. His eyes were still intact in his skull. And every hair on my body stood up on end, and I had the worst sensation of cold. It literally felt like my blood was just turning into ice. It was awful cold sensation. And he was talking in my head, and he was explaining to me that he made all this effort and took all this time to try to get to me because I drove past the building that he died in every day on my way to school. He was a food factory worker, and he was loading trays onto a conveyor belt. He got caught in the conveyor belt and was pulled into the machinery, which, of course, ripped his skin off, and he bled out. And he was saying, oh, man, I wish I'd done, decided to go to college like you. I, I smoked marijuana all through high school. <laughs> I totally just thought I'd get a factory job. And, the way that he was talking, the way he would put man at the end of every sentence, oh, that's kind of the jerk. I, but I, what I said to him was, okay, I don't know how I'm going to help you, but I'm going to try. Right now, I need to go take a walk, but you're welcome to come back, and we'll see what we can do. So I leave, and my dad was waiting for me outside. He says, you look like you've seen a ghost. I didn't tell him anything. He said, your skin is white. You have no blood in your face. And I told Mom, okay, I'll just go for a walk. But he never came back. So I did a little bit of research. He even gave me the address of where he died. And I looked up that address, and I drove on the way to work, or way to school, rather, every day. That had been a food factory for over 100 years. Another company had bought it out and has taken it over. But the public safety records were available at the library for this location. So, But you had to go through the Department of Labor, of Hygiene and Safety. So I contacted them, asked them, asked them for records for that address, and they had a fatality roughly every 10 years. The most recent fatality had was in 1979. That's about the time I had my near-death experience, an 18-year-old male who was sucked through the machinery, loading trays of food in. So everything checked out with him, and especially when you think about his clothing, the way that he talked, it was very typical of the 70s, you know, saying man at the end of every sentence, with these flared jeans, the stone wash, the high-top shoes, everything about it was 1970s. Hmm. And I, it just it just blew me away. I'm like, this doesn't happen to people this intensely. I must have, there must be something different and unique about me. I would continue to see deceased people would come into my life this way. I didn't know how to help them. And it would startle me when I would see them because I would see them as real solid people. Like, I don't see them as wispy or transparent. Uh, have a sensation. I would also have nightmares of them when they're telling me their stories, and they wanted me to help them cross over, but I didn't know how to do it. And then I started having dreams about somebody coming and helping me and guiding me through this. 
And he said, the first thing you need to do is read the Bible, because this is going to teach you everything about the spirit world. So I started reading the Bible cover to cover and sequence. And then he later revealed himself to be Jesus himself. And in this one dream that came to me, this one dream that's more real than real, Jesus shows up and he's dressed like a biker on a Harley. He's riding a Harley. He's got love tattooed above, across both sets of knuckles. He has Alpha and Omega tattooed on his shoulders. And he had a full beard, dressed in leather, and he stopped his bike and he looked right through me and there was just so much love in his eyes, so much love in that presence. It's the same love I experienced when I passed and I was in that light. And he said, before you were even born, I knew you. I am your father. I have given you a gift that the demons want to steal. But I tell you the truth, I have given you this gift, and I control it. And he showed me uh, like a little gold box, and I did not know what he was speaking of until later on I realized how these psychic abilities are a gift and can be used as a gift. And I started to help people when I joined a paranormal group, and we would go to investigations. Oftentimes, I would see the spirits and even experience some of them in my own home before going there and actually would paint their portrait. Even before I knew what was going on investigation, I would already know the location and the history of the home, and they don't even tell me the address of where I'm going. I would get there, conduct the investigation, show them the portrait, and it's like, yes, we've seen that apparition here. The very first one I did we went to a home that had probably 17 children in it. They were fostering children, and it was a really great and loving family, but they had a haunting issue. I saw uh, this woman and a man in this home, and I felt like I was being literally pulled down, but I was being pulled back in time, and it felt like an ocean tide pulling on my legs, like you understand the ocean, the water pulls out. But I was, instead of being pulled out by water, I was being pulled out in time. And I was going back to the 1940s. And I see these couple, and they're typical of the era of the 1940s, but they were sort of in denial about their death. I saw the woman in the kitchen, and I saw all the appliances um, from the 1940s. And what they told me, what they learned later, um, of course, I, I knew nothing about this ahead of time, their dogs would refuse to go in the kitchen, and the one dog even pointed like he's a bird dog pointing at a bird in the kitchen, like pointing right where I saw the woman standing. We'd also have some interaction with this woman, and when the caseworker did research, and she independently verified, yes, there was this man and this woman that lived there. I described them accurately, their physical description and their age from the time, but the previous structure was from the 1940s. They were also seeing shadow people, and I was able to cut to describe that. And later on, I said, well, it would have been nice if I had done that portrait before I got there. So in other investigations, I started to get the sense of those spirits in the home, even before I knew what was going on investigation, and I would start drawing their portraits. The first one I did that for was actually here in Columbus down in the OSU 
centers in the Ohio State University of housing for students. It's usually in an old neighborhood. All the houses are older, but it's kind of run down. It's not a good neighborhood. It's high crime area. But even before I knew I was going there, I had this awful nightmare about a witch that the student had invited into the home through a Ouija board. And this witch was trying to bring a soul from hell in and was trying to control everyone in that household. It was trying to cause chaos. And it was a terrible nightmare. And I kept warning the witch. I kept telling her, you need to stay away. Back off. Back off. You're not bringing these other spirits in. But she was trying to bring other spirits in. And I had three knocks on my wall wake me up from that. And when I get there, well, first of all, I went ahead and I drew the portrait because I had a spirit from that location come visit me. He was actually a nice spirit, but he looked very skeletal. He um, had something wrapped around him. He was hovering over my bed and he was wrapped in a garbage bag and he was pushing his skull face through the plastic bag and kind of stretching the plastic into my face. And he was talking, and I realized that his personality was more of a real easygoing, laid-back guy. But he wanted to me to understand that the way that his body was disposed of was very disrespectful. Essentially, he told me that he liked to drink a lot. He was a heavy drinker. He lived around that area back in the 90s because he liked to hang around partiers and college kids like to party. He liked to drink too. And he passed out behind a bar from alcohol poisoning and passed away. Well, he didn't really have anything to do with his family and he didn't really have any money. So he was buried in essentially in a pauper's grave. And he said he was just wrapped up in a bag and tossed into a hole like a sack of garbage. He says, that wasn't me. And I don't want to look like this in my afterlife. Because he looked like the Grim Reaper. He really did. And he's one of the paintings that I sent to you. When we got into that location, of course, I'm not showing anybody my artwork or what I experienced. But I see him in the basement area. And he told me his name, Nathaniel David. And then I got, well, I asked him, well, is it David Nathaniel or Nathaniel David? And one of the other investigators got out a ghost box and his voice came through, Nathaniel David. And it was his voice. He verified independently of what I was hearing and seeing came through on the ghost box. Not just once, but multiple times. He told us about how much he loved to drink and he loved to party. And the other students would come in and he would say, Oh, get drunk. And I said, yeah, if you if you and I were in college together, we'd have a good time. He says, yes, we'd be great. <laughs> and he made us laugh. But then I asked him, I said, do you want to cross over? He said, yes, yes. And what I found that I have the ability to do is when I say a prayer, I'll say a prayer to the Blessed Mother, say, Holy Mother of God, please open the doorway to heaven. And I can actually see the light of heaven open. And I can actually see the part of heaven that they're going to, where they're going, which is really an, a reality that God creates for that soul to enjoy rest on that other side. And I see this light emerge from the wall. Nobody else can see it but me. 
and I see other people come through to get him, and they're all of his family. One of them somehow instantly knew was his sister. His sister preceded him in death. It was an accidental death because his parents were alcoholics. They didn't pay any attention to the little girl that was that had wandered around the neighborhood, and I got that she drowned in the neighbor's pool. Right. And because of that, this created a lot of trauma for him. And he really he didn't want to have anything to do with his family because of it. He just thought of his family as just uh, nothing but drunks. And he to cover up his pain because he never really dealt with it. He he did he himself drank. And he just tried to be happy and positive, even though he didn't have the same opportunity as other people. He mainly was a manual laborer, but he was a fun and loving guy and extremely tall. He's over six seven, blonde hair, blue eyes. Now, when I at the end, we got through this, and I presented the portrait, and the, one of the residents in the home says, "I've seen him," and the other people that had come. To investigate, yes, I saw that spirit in the basement even before you got here. The same one that you just painted the portrait of. And what we ended up doing for him was creating a memorial wreath at his request, at the request of the deceased, in his honor, because that's all he wanted. Just a little memorial, nothing, nothing grand. But as he had crossed over, he no longer looked skeletal. He looked like a healthy, strong person. And the, his family members that were deceased, that were taking him over, had surrounded him and were hugging him. And they were walking him towards the light. And it was such a beautiful thing to see him go into that light. And you could just feel the joy and reunion of a family just coming from that light. It was incredible. And I did this several more times, crossing people over. I learned so much. I've had spirits try to stop me from coming. Um, but they, but when I find when I get there, um, one of these spirits just realize they're really confused and they, they really want to be in the light. They don't want, they just are in pain. And when you're in pain, everything annoys you. <laughs> everything, you don't want to have people around you. You don't want to have um, anybody interfering with you. You think that nobody understands your pain. So in the next location, I had the same experience. I had this woman, before I even went there, a spirit woman that would get up in my face very aggressively, tell me not to come, was yelling at me. Uh, half her face was severely traumatized. And when I got there and I saw her gliding through the house, it was very eerie to see. She was, again, from the 1940s, that era, Probably, but the tail end before it's maybe 45, 1945, 1946. And she was brought in by an Ouija board. And she had been killed, murdered by her boyfriend. Her remains are still unfound. But when they got, when she realized that it's been over 70 years, um, she said, what am I doing around here for? And when I asked, this time, not only when heaven opened, but this time, there was a window open to the life of the killer, the person who killed her, and I could see his life. And she was watching it through my eyes. And he's still around. He's very old, but he's about to pass, and he's unrepentant. 
Andy, he is going to not go to a good place when he passes. He's going to pay for this crime. But she learned that she had to forgive him. And in helping her to forgive, she was able to cross over and an angel came for her. And I got to watch that happen. And the atmosphere in that home lifted. It was just so much more brighter and beautiful. Um, and whenever I leave a home, um, like in the prior story, when I talk about the OSU one where there was a witch, he was, <laughs> that person, um, in that home, I also experienced the same nightmare on the same day as I did at the same time. And he actually tried to communicate with an Ouija board and brought this spirit witch in, but I'm able to cleanse the home. I say a prayer. I ask for the Blessed Mother to come and cleanse the home and provide her love and protection. And these college kids were calling me later going, you don't believe how much more peaceful it is here. It's peaceful. Something you don't hear from college kids too often. They're worrying about party in the grades. You know, you don't hear right. about peace. Um, but the more I did this, the more that I found I'm able to do. And I would often go to a place with multiple spirits. Sometimes I will actually experience the haunting in my own apartment before I go to that location. And one where the person I know, I know had mental issues. But there was a, a couple of spirits there that weren't leaving her alone. They were taking advantage of her vulnerability. One of them can cause some hallucinations. So when I was sitting on my back balcony, I was drinking some water. And all of a sudden, an apparition of a giant fly appeared in my water. But, oh, that's very unusual. I put my water down. I walked to the kitchen. And my kitchen is... Completely empty. There's no bugs. There's no flies. You know, I get something out of our fridge and I shut it. And all of a sudden, my entire kitchen is black with flies. And there are flies pouring out of the light fixture in my ceiling. There's no way that can happen. It was just pouring out of the fluorescent light tube itself. Hundreds of flies. And I was like, oh my goodness. You see, you, you might hear about that in the movies or see that in the movies where suddenly there's nothing there and all of a sudden there's a bunch of bugs there and it was that happened to me and it was from this spirit that who was trying to take over this woman trying to bully this woman didn't want me to come and stop that bullying but first fortunately was able to get him to cross over and he was the one the worst kind of human spirits when you talk about human spirits Teenagers are the worst. He was a teenager. <laughs> he was <laughs> murdered back in the 1800s, <laughs> and he was full of himself. Um, and from what I learned from him, that he was uh, a sawmill's nephew. And, of course, sawmills back then, very pos very profitable business. If you got in on it early and you got the first mill on the water, as it was in this case, and... There was a man that had been working for the sawmill for many years, never got to move up within the ranks, and was furious when this guy wanted to just promote this nephew to run the mill. And he was only 18, had no experience, and full of himself. He got the 18-year-old drunk one night and drunk to the point where he was unconscious, laid him out on the mill floor, released the brake of the saw, saw him in half. So his apparition was like a half skeleton and kind of smoky on one side. 
it was very weird, and he kind of would come through the mirror in a kind of a smoky fashion. But um, ultimately, the murderer and the murdered crossed over together. And the murderer had been caught. It was well known. Everybody kind of suspected it because they were the last people seen together. And you know what happened. You know how horrible it was. So there wasn't too much doubt who was the guilty party, and he was hung. But when we're about to leave and we're cleansing the place, I hear the murderer come in and say, come on, boy, we're going. We're leaving together. Come on, boy. <laughs> they, they left. And, and apparently, they, you know, there's no hard feelings on the other side. And it was like the murderer was helping him to cross over and uh, dragging his smart aleck butt to the other side. <laughs> Angela... But, it has been so much fun having you on and tell these stories. And I'm probably going to have you on again because uh, I know you've had some experiences at Post Town Elementary School. And uh, I've never been inside. Uh, we are looking at the possibility of setting a live event up there sometime next year. Uh, I go to Middletown all the time for work. So it's right there in an area I'm familiar with. So it would be uh, awesome because I know you've done some pictures from uh, an entity there, an apparition that you saw. And I want to be able to get you on when we do that show and talk a little bit about that. Fantastic. A lot of the spirits here are personally know me. So when I go there and there's people who are, you know, have their EVP recordings going on or they have an obelisk or they have some other device, they're all calling my name. It's really interesting because they know me so well. But I do have a website so everybody can kind of go on and see some of the paintings that I've done. And this is going to be a little bit long because Wick's site um, made this a little bit long based on my email, but it's asupersquirrel.wixsite.com forward slash Angela Bully Portrait A. And if you, send, if you send that to me, I'll post that on the website. Uh, on our uh, uh, Facebook page and group and everything, and then that'll help people get to it. Um, but it is fair to say that you went to Wix, uh, because you was telling me that you went to Wix because we kept preaching about it. And what was it you told me about that website compared to others? It was easier to set up in my Facebook page. And when I tried to do um, Facebook, uh, websites before, it would be five hours before I can get, even get to the part of uploading my artwork. I, it only took me less than an hour to get the website up and going, and then I was able to spend the majority of my time uploading artwork, which is what my pride and joy is, showcasing my art and not having to work on the tediousness and minutia of trying to develop a website. So awesome. Well, Angela, thanks for coming on and sharing your story with us. It was a very inspirational story, and I hope it uh, definitely helps some people out there listening. And I look forward to having you back on again. Thanks. I look forward to meeting you with think meeting you again. We're going to have a lot to talk about when we're talking about Post Town, believe me. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be, uh, like I said, I, I'm in the process of trying to, and, I, and you might be able to help me with that, so we'll talk off there about that. Uh, sure. But, but obviously... Uh, we're in the Cincinnati uh, area a lot, and I know you're not too far from there. You're just a little bit further north. And uh, right. so who knows? Maybe we'll hook up at one of these events. Absolutely. I don't doubt it. I'm only a couple hours away from Post Town, and I know the route well, and I know the owners personally. So it'll be great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What do you think about 
Angela, could you imagine being able to just see spirits like no. that? And and, the, and trust me, we're going to post some of these pictures mm-hmm. for you guys to see. Of course, uh, I'll post her website and everything so people can go yeah. to because it's, it's pretty fascinating. But yeah, these pictures are really cool. So. I don't know. That'd be scary to me. I think. Yeah. Now but, I can't. Now I can't wait to get up to that school. Yeah. Absolutely. Because he lives. At, that's a haunted school, huge, and he lives there. And his, him and his wife just sectioned off a little part of it, and they lived there. Oh. Mm, they're brave. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. All right, guys, we love you, and we'll see you very soon. Love you guys. Have a blessed week. This is Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances and Rev 9-6. This is Jerry and Tracy from Hillbilly Horror Stories. Do we have a special treat for you? By now, you know that we are doing a live episode in Atchison, Kansas on August 10th. Atchison is home to the infamous Sally House. Atchison is one of the most haunted towns in America. So with the help of Maria Miller, we have an entire weekend in store for you. This is Maria Miller, Tourism Director for Atchison, Kansas. We're excited to welcome all of your listeners to the most haunted town in Kansas and one of the most haunted towns in the country, Atchison, where history repeats itself every single day in the most unusual of ways. You better get your tickets now because we have lots of exciting events planned for you. Besides our live show at Paolucci Restaurant, which is one of the most haunted restaurants in America, there will be haunted trolley rides, cemetery tours, tours of the Sally House, and even an investigation of the Sally House, if you're not too scared. You can get your tickets for all of the Atchison events at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. See you in Kansas. Kansas.